Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. So when we come to faith in Christ, what happens when a person, a man or a woman, believes that Jesus died for his or her sins and rose again? What happens is that God immediately forgives us of all of our sins. He forgives us. He adopts us into, our, into his family. Uh, he uh, sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within every believer, giving us direction, taking the blinders off our eyes so we can understand the world as it is. We can understand what sin is. We can understand what righteousness is. We can understand who God is. It's an amazing thing. In fact, Paul goes so far to use a metaphor in, uh, in Corinthians where he says that he takes our old heart, throws it out, gives us a new heart, a new heart. In the Bible, the heart is the interior life. It is fundamentally who you are. And he says he takes the, the oldness away and he reforms who you are. And that's a wonderful thing. But the reality is, is that we're like, wow, we can see God, we experience him. And yet as a Christian, I still sin and I still struggle with sin. And now I'm fully aware that my sin is wrong. (laughs) So it's hard. It's difficult. How many of us are Christians and we still struggle on a daily basis? That's a true question. I know the answer, all of us. How, and all of us have different sin issues that we will struggle with. Each of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us in our own way, but yet we all struggle. How many of us have been Christians for how long? We still struggle with anger, festering anger for a long time. How many of us struggle with, with, with telling the truth in love, even either speaking the truth or, or, or saying it lovingly? How many of us struggle with that? How many of us struggle with, with addictions? And oh my goodness, the, the human heart is a is an idle factory. We can just be addicted to anything, whether it's substances or, or activities. How many of us still struggle with those? As Christians, as believers, who've had our hearts fundamentally changed. Jesus took our old heart, threw it on the ground, lit it on fire. Actually, he soaked it in gasoline first, lit it on fire. It's gone. He's given you a new heart. And yet there's remnants of that old life still behind. The pull of sin is strong. The pull of Satan, the enemy of your souls, is strong. He wants to tempt us. He wants us to take away from God, uh, to take us away from God. The pull of the world is strong. How can we overcome our sinful impulses as Christians? How can we do it? Because the truth is, is I'm telling you, I still struggle. I struggle regularly. Struggled yesterday, struggled this morning trying to manage three kids over here. It's hard. It's hard. How can we overcome that sinful struggle we have, those sinful impulses we have, those bad impulses we have? Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, writing from prison, says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and give themselves up to sensuality, greedy 
to practice every kind of impurity. So, so Paul is saying to largely in Ephesus, it is a, a, a Gentile congregation. There's still people uh, who are Jewish that converted to Christianity or started following Jesus. Uh, but largely he's talking to Gentiles and he's saying, look, don't live the way you used to live. Don't, don't go that way. Because before you came to Christ, you were spiritually blind. Before you came to Christ, you had a hardness of heart. You had a darkened heart. You couldn't understand what good and righteousness was. You couldn't understand what a right relationship with God was going to be like. So don't go that way anymore. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he gives them some examples where he says, uh, they have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Impurity. They're trying to run in the opposite direction of God. That word sensuality, it can mean a lot of things. Uh, but essentially, it is trying to feed the senses. It is trying to say, I don't feel something, so I want to feel. And it is chasing after things because you're saying, I want to feel. I want to feel. Guys, I've had the privilege of walking alongside believers for over two decades and walking alongside them in their struggles. And something I have noticed, something I've observed in my own life <laughs> and in the lives of others is oftentimes when you take care of one scenario, you're like, all right, I'm good. What happens? Some other scenario pops up. It's like whack-a-mole. You can never get it down. I, I, I've seen it over and over and over again. I had one friend walking alongside her. For the longest time, she was addicted to alcohol. Finally, got help, got that under control. Then all of a sudden, it started uh, abusing other substances, drugs. I realized that was wrong, got that under control. And then once that was under control, then it turned to food, like just overeat, way overeating, like making food an idol, right? And that's a hard thing to kick because you have to eat, right? You can't not eat. It's like you have to eat at least three times a day. And then once uh, once she got that down, all of a sudden this, this addiction to pornography jumped up and it's like, oh my goodness, right? Like, how can you get over this? How can we overcome our sinful impulses? Paul says, hey, don't do this anymore. Okay, Paul, how? Is it an act of the will? There's a lot of studies done on willpower and self-control. And according to a lot of those studies, I think the consensus is that willpower is like a muscle. You can make it grow, but it's not limitless. Eventually, you will run out of willpower. So, Paul, how can we overcome these impulses? Verse 20 but that is not the way you learned in Christ. You know what's right and wrong, he's saying. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, put off your old self. Yes, you had an old heart. Jesus took it. He, he threw it away. There's still remnants. There's gooey remnants on your body. Forget those. Embrace your new life with Christ. He says. And he says that old life is corrupt through deceitful desires. What a great term. What a great modern term, deceitful desires. The desires that we have in our heart that say, this will improve your life. I mean, that's how Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He said, if you sin, it will improve your life. Deceitful desires. We all have these desires that are not from God. We all have these desires that are not healthy. 
And unfortunately, if you look at, I think, the trajectory of our current American culture, it, it grieves me to see that I think in America, we have this identity crisis. We have gone from, uh, just forget about Christianity for a minute, from fundamentally defining who you are as a person as I am me, to saying, I am defined by my desires, by the things that I want. Do you know how dangerous that is? Do you know how difficult that is for people? Do you know how hard it is to be a child growing up right now? Hey, if you feel it, you must be it. No, that is totally against the reality of the world. That is going to lead people to depression. It's going to lead to substance abuse and, and defining yourself by your worst characteristics. No, it doesn't give anyone to, anything to aspire to. We do it with our politics. We say, oh, you are identified by either or party. And do you know how hard it is to fight against that, that kind of identity politics? If you are on one side and you say, you know what? I think the Bible's right. I'm going to love my political opponents and I'm going to show them grace and compassion. And that might be hard in and of itself. But when you do that in our current culture, now all of a sudden your own side is against you. Have you seen that? They're like, how dare you show them love? Relax, we just voted on a tax bill. It's okay. You know how hard it is? Or in our culture right now, with whatever sexual impulses you feel, that will define who you are. And to say, you know what? I'm not going to define myself by my sexual impulses. I'm not. I'm not going to define my, my, myself, uh, whatever sexual impulses you have. My kids, you know, they go to school and everything. And I, I tell them, like, guys, I don't identify myself as a heterosexual male. I don't. I'm not going to play the game. I'm not. I'm not going to define who I am based on my desires. I'm not going to do it on my food. I'm not going to do it on my political standing. I'm going to do it on Jesus Christ. But do you know how hard that is? Because you have sin, Satan, in the world saying, no, 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 give in. No, 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 give in. Come on, just give in. Just give in. Just give in. And if you don't give in, and if you want to say, no, I'm going to live higher, I'm going to aspire to live higher than my desires, you're a bigot. How can we overcome our sinful impulses? Everything is against us. And Paul calls them deceitful desires because they're deceitful. They feel right. How can we overcome it? Maybe by willpower. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay, that sounds easy. What Paul's talking about here is cowardice. Uh, he's talking about cowardice, right? Because it's hard to speak the truth in love, as he talked about two weeks ago we saw. Speaking the truth in love is hard. We either go one way or the other, right? I know a lot of people who speak truth and they're mean and they're bully and they're anger, anger-filled and hateful. And by the way, if you don't speak the truth in love, you're not actually speaking the truth. Or people are afraid to say the truth at all because they, they don't, you know, they don't want to rock the boat. They want to love other people. And then you, of course, have that other faction of people who think that they know the truth about everything, every, everything, and they're so certain about it, and they don't know. <laughs> By the way, that is also breaking one of the Ten Commandments, bearing a false witness when you think you know all the answers and you pontificate that this is gospel truth along with Jesus being risen from the dead, so is my conspiracy theory here. No, that's bearing false witness. How hard? How hard is it? It's so impossible. 
I think the, a large amount of us, we don't share the gospel. We don't share the gospel truth because we're scared to, we are concerned to, and we have good reason to be concerned, don't we? I know I do. A few months ago, it was uh, super early in the morning. I was uh, in the parsonage with the baby, and then the uh, video doorbell goes off. It was like way too early for anybody to ring, ring that. <sighs> I look at it, and there's this guy without a shirt on, and I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe he needs me to call the police, right? So I'll answer it on my phone. And he proceeds to tell me that he is a werewolf and that he transformed and now he needs a shirt. <laughs> so, so I'm like, you know, I, I've got the baby. Everyone else is sleeping. I'm like, I'm not going, you know, if it was just me, I would have gotten a shirt, gone down, throw it, you know, throw it out the door. And, uh, but, but it's like, no, I'm not, you know, with the baby and everything, it can't happen. So I said, no, I can't help you. Sorry. You know, and he was, Heaven and on, he went away. Well, later on, he comes back. He comes back in the day, and he has a shirt on, okay? And he's trying to get back into the parsonage, and I immediately took him over here, and, uh, you know, where there aren't, you know, people. And, and I brought him in over here, and he's just telling me about how Jesus told him that, uh, that the werewolf is his spirit animal. And he's, he's just going on and on about all this stuff. And, and I'm like, all right, share the gospel with him. I share the gospel with him. And then finally, it just got to the point where I'm like, all right, well, let me, let me help you out. Let me, let me make you, set you in the right direction of your home. He had a home, thank goodness. And let's get you there, right? Uh, let's get you there. You can't reason with someone who's crazy, can you? You can't. At first, I started to. I always try to. I'm like, no, Jesus didn't tell you a werewolf. He's like, oh, that's where you're wrong. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this, this is a waste of my time. You can't, you can't. And so eventually I'm just, I gave up and I'm like, okay, I prayed with him, I prayed for him and, uh, and I made sure he was heading in the right direction of where he said his apartment was. Great. End of story. I think that's the reason we often don't share the gospel of Jesus with our neighbors and loved ones because we understand fundamentally when we were saved, our heart was changed, God the Holy Spirit removed the blinders from our eyes, we understand reality better than we used to. We understand sin and righteousness. We understand heaven and hell. We understand God. And we understand that our neighbors don't see it that way. And when we try to have conversations with them, we know, we know we're speaking a different language. We know we're going to sound like the crazy person talking to them. And they're going to sound like the crazy person trying to reason with us because there's something that's happened. And yet Paul says, huh? Speak the truth. Don't be cowards. Speak the truth in love. How can we do that? I'm a coward. How can we speak the truth? Is it an act of willpower? How many of us have tried to do evangelism through a sheer act of will? How can we overcome these bad impulses? Don't worry, it gets worse. Verse 26, something else Paul tells us to do or not do. Verse 26, be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul, I appreciate the way he says this because he, he understands, right? Like if somebody steps on your toe and you feel angry, like that's just a normal response. Uh, that's, that's a normal thing. But what he's saying here, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't stew in your anger, right? Yeah, somebody slaps you or hits you, you're naturally going to feel angry. That's normal. That's good. However, don't stew in that anger. All right, I get that. Don't become an angry person and don't stuff it down so far that, uh, you, you know, uh, your kid asks a question and then you blow up at them, right? Or a stranger cuts you off in, in traffic and all of a sudden you lose your mind. 
I'm like, okay, I get that. But it gets worse because he says, because if you allow anger to fester in your life, you give an opportunity to the devil, the enemy of your soul. You know, recently I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about uh, exorcism and they were talking about uh, fighting against Satan and within a, a Christian context. And one of the things that uh, the theologian had said was that uh, the occult is a magnet for demons, right? The, the, uh, when, when you practice the occult, things like tarot card readings and, and uh, seances and Ouija boards, spirit boards, those kinds of things, when you're doing those, fortune telling, when you're doing those things, you open a doorway and you give a, a le- legal access to Satan to torment you. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then I come along and I read this and he's like, and Paul says, uh, also anger. <sighs> anger is a magnet for Satan? That gives him a doorway to torment me in my life? Are you kidding me? I get angry about that. <laughs> Cyclical thing. How can, we, how can we overcome these sinful impulses? How can we do it? How can we overcome these habitual feelings? right? And fundamentally, that's who I am. I get angry at things and I will fester. I can tell you guys, I can confess you. It wasn't in my sermon notes, but I'm seeing my wife right now. And there have been times, right? We having a knockdown, drag down argument and we're arguing all this. And she's like, we got to work this out. And I'm like, I don't want to work this out. And then she, she, of course, just effectively says, look, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And immediately my heart is transformed into love. No, of course not. It's like, are you kidding me? Ah! Like how many times have you told that, that our marriage? There's been a lot. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. At this point, if I'm following Paul's thing, my willpower is gone. Maybe some of you have flexed your willpower muscle a little bit more than me, but mine's gone. How can we overcome these sinful impulses? Can you feel the frustration? I mean, I'm sure the, the, the church in Ephesus, as they're reading this, Paul's like, do this and then do that and then don't do that. And they're like, okay, all right, all right. Ugh. How? How? Paul, tell us how. I can tell you, I, I have a bunch of evangelism books and there's, there's a lot of evangelism books out there. Most of them just tell you the what. Hey, evangelism is important. Go do evangelism. I'm like, how? Tell me how it's effective in 21st century America. How? These guys, Paul is he's like, well, the devil's going get to get a, gonna get a foothold in your life. And they're like, okay, Paul, tell us how. Does he tell us how in the next section? No. Verse 28, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, whew, that's an easy one. We're all like, all right, all right, don't steal. I got that, that's fine, right? Except, you know, we, we read thou shall not steal and we're like, all right, that's cool. What about stealing time from your employer, right? Doing something you're not supposed to be doing. What about stealing uh, office supplies? You know how many billions of dollars of office supplies get stolen every year by employees who are just like, well, I work here. I, I can take uh, this ream of paper. I'm not talking like a paper clip comes home with you, right? Or, or a, a clip, you know, like I'm talking, they take a ream of paper and just, boop, they put it in and companies write it off. They're just like, well, we, we just, they assume that they're going to be stolen from. That's stealing. Another example is sometimes there are jobs that are legal, but they're not moral to do. 
as I was working through this text, all of a sudden, I think God, the Holy Spirit reminded me of this uh, situation. Are you familiar with uh, these payday loan uh, places? Uh, we don't really have them in New York, I don't think, but they're, they're piled up on the border in Jersey. <laughs> these payday loans, if you're not familiar, they, uh, they are organizations where someone who is in dire need of an emergency uh, money for whatever reason, they don't ask, uh, has to come and they can apply for this loan and they will give you cash on site at exorbitantly high usury level interest rates that compounds over time. They're highly regulated because they can actually destroy people's lives. And, uh, and, and, and frankly, um, I, they are, they're absolutely immoral. They prey on people when they are at their neediest. Um, I had a friend who she was uh, like the manager of one of these places. And, you know, like, you know, you get to know somebody and you're like, ah, whatever, yeah, I have a conversation and, and they tell you where you work and you're like, ooh, you know, but I'm not going to like make a big deal out of it like right off the bat, right? So as I'm getting to know them, she's telling me, her and her husband actually, they were like, yeah, we're not comfortable with this job because we realize that we are preying on people and that the people we are giving loans to will never be able to pay this loan back for the rest of their lives because the interest will compound and compound and compound. And uh, we know, you know, you know, it's hard, but you know, it's, uh, there's, there isn't another job that we can get out there that can meet our income needs. And, and this one's really good. So, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're stuck. It's where we're hard. So then you read the context of this. And Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So it's not just, hey, work an honest living, work so that you're able to share with others in their need. Ah! So then if you find a job that you, you know is morally questionable, it might be legal, but remember the law is the bottom rung of morality. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's good. And uh, just, <laughs> you might have a job and you're convicted, like, I can't do this, but I can't afford to live otherwise. Now, that's hard too, isn't it? I've got a family. I've got bills. How can we do this, Paul? How can we overcome this sin? And then it gets worse. 29. Don't worry, we have a few more. It just gets worse and worse and harder and harder. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Whenever you speak, Peter says, speak as if you are speaking the words of God. Ah, that sounds nice. Paul says, hey, when you talk, just build people up. That's what you're going to do. Don't tear people down with your words. Build them up. That sounds good. Everyone like that? Yeah, yeah. There's one little problem with that though. Do you know what that problem is? Jerks! What do you do about jerks? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're cutting you off in traffic. They're in church. They're outside of the church. They're in your own home. Possibly sometimes you yourself are a jerk. What do you do about that? Right? And Paul says, hey, talk to build people up. How? How? I need to vent sometimes. You need to vent sometimes. How? How can we do this? It's absolutely impossible. I'm out of willpower. I don't have willpower when it comes to jerks. Do you? And it says, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, great. Bring God into this, Paul. I'm grieving him. You know, it's worse than being disciplined in any way, shape, or form by your parents is when they just say, you know, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> oh. 
Don't grieve God. Don't make him disappointed in you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Yeah, he's with you right now when you make these bad decisions. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Put it all away. Again, it sounds good on paper, but then the Germans came up with this great term. Schadenfreude. Anyone know this word? Anyone familiar with Schadenfreude? Oh my gosh, I love Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, you'll, you'll hear it. It's, it's getting into the cultural imagination. Schadenfreude is when you feel happy because your enemy is suffering. Uh, Schadenfreude. It's a great word. It's a great term. Uh, and, and leave it to the Germans to come up with a phenomenal term uh, that experiences that, right? You've experienced that. When one of your enemies, right, they get what's coming to them. Years ago, uh, those guys who've gotten to know me, I, you know, I've got a little bit of a creative side in the background and, um, you know, I've written short stories and published some stuff here and there. Uh, one of, uh, one of my dreams, there was this publishing company, it was a Christian publishing company. They, they put themselves out as a Christian publishing company. They were uh, producing, uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I want to be part of this group. And that was, that was one of my dreams is to get a part of them. And so I'd buy all their books and I found one of their authors was a little off. And I started looking into the author, and the author explicitly denied the Trinity. Now, look, every Christian from the time of Christ till now has affirmed the Trinity. There is one God who eternally exists in three persons. That and the other doctrine is the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus, right? If you deny those two things, you are not within the sphere of Christianity anymore. Every Protestant, every Orthodox, every Catholic believes those two, the Trinity and the deity of Jesus Christ. And look, if you want to believe something else, you are free to do so, but don't call yourself a Christian because that's deceptive, <laughs> right? So I found this, I was like, oh my gosh, right? And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm praying about it. Well, if it was me and I was producing someone like this, I would want to, you know, know about it. So I emailed the publisher, and I'd had a little bit of relationship with him prior to this, and, uh, and he was like, make a very long story short, through several emails and conversations, he basically said, oh, I looked into your accusations, and they're true, <laughs> and, uh, but I don't care because I think there are many ways that we can follow Christ. This guy also denied the deity of Jesus Christ, big surprise. And uh, there's many ways. And as long as we say the name of Jesus, it's fine. And I'm like, it's not fine. Not according to Paul, not according to the Bible, not according to 2,000 years of Christian history. And so what I had experienced is I got blackballed. And I had a pretty good community of authors and writers that I was working with on another project. And a number of them, they, total, they just pieced out on me. They blacklisted me. I can remember for months, it was like, this is what I wanted. I wanted this so bad to work with this organization. And now the guy just said, I don't even care who you say Jesus is. And now it's not just about me, it's about other people. So about, I don't know, nine months later, this same guy who accused me of accusing people of stuff, this same guy he had to sell the company because he was caught up in a scandal. And, uh, and the guy who took over the company, I built a relationship with. He got rid of the authors who were not believers. And, uh, and he was really building this thing up. Wow. Schadenfreude. Yes. 
Yes, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're driving slowly in a snowstorm and this guy in a four-wheel truck, vroom, 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 he's driving up behind you. He's, he's tailgating you. He's driving you nuts. He's honking the horn. Finally, he goes around. You're like, whoo. And then you see him in a ditch down the road a mile. Yes. And Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul says no to schadenfreude. I'm, I'm out of willpower to overcome that sinful impulse. I can't do it. How can we? Finally, Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How, how does God forgive us in Christ? How many sins is Jesus willing to forgive for us? All of them. All of them as in like a large number, like a thousand? Two thousand? Infinite, which isn't even actually a number, it's a concept. Never ending. Infinity plus one, or as I'd get in arguments with my brothers, infinity times infinity. <sighs> Just never ends. That sounds good when it's coming my way. Yeah, infinite forgiveness. But when he says, hey, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That is hard to do. I mean, look, it's easy to do with like little squabbles and stuff. Like, oh, I think our main color should be gold. I think it should be silver, right? Oh, we love this carpet. We don't like this carpet, right? I get that. Like, okay, fine, 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 fine. I can put aside my own wants, needs, and desires for someone else over here. Uh, song selection. Oh, what? what? I don't even, how long have I been here? I don't even know where the thing is. Oh, why do we pick that song? Like, you know, come on, come on. I can put aside my petty differences, right? I, I really can. I think the front door should be over there. I think the front door should be over there. Petty differences, easy to put aside. But when it's really serious, that's when it becomes impossible. I know for Kristen and I, a number of years ago, we were working at a church in California and we saved and we scrounged money. And uh, we worked hard. And my, uh, my father's grandparents had given us some, uh, um, hmm? not security deposits, what are they called? I knew I was going to forget this. I was like, write it down. Anyways, they had invested, they had given us something a long time ago, a, a bit of money that uh, we would be able to use as, as grandkids. It was incredibly thoughtful. And so we were able to buy our first, where we were about to buy our first house. We put a down payment on it because of all that, and we worked hard, and the housing market was low. So don't think, I'm not over here like, oh, we're gonna buy our first house at such a young age. Like, we did it ourselves. We didn't do it ourselves. It was, it was through the grace of all sorts of people working in our lives. That's the only reason we were able to do it. But we worked hard. My grandparents worked hard, uh, and they'd been long gone. They had died when I was eight years old, but they, they had gotten this for us, and it was like, wow, we're, we're gonna make this happen. And, uh, and the leadership in the church, they knew that we were doing this and they were all excited and we were going to make it work. And if you've been young and bought a house before, you know how tight the money is and how you're trying to make it work, right? And then two hours after the window closed for us to get our deposit back, two hours, they pulled us into a room. The leadership pulled us into a room knowing full well we were in this process. And they told us that they had decided months ago that they were going to significantly cut my salary because of budget issues. 
These were friends. These were people, and they knew for months. And I talked to them about this for months. They didn't have to tell me, oh, well, we couldn't tell you because, you know, privacy. And I'm like, all you had to say is, look, there's something coming down. You don't know it's going to affect you financially. Don't make this decision. You're going to waste all the work that me and my wife did. You're going to waste the work that my grandparents did, who I didn't even know because they died before I could form a good memory. You're going to just flush it down because you didn't bother to tell me because you didn't care. And you're Christians, you love us. And you know what? That anger, that level of anger, that's nothing compared to my friends who've been abused by a leader in the church. And then when they brought it forward, instead of the church coming around, the individual who has been victimized, they go and demonize the victim. And they, they lift up the abuser because they just want to hold together this image that the abuser, oh, he's sent from God. And they've got to shut up the victim because they're telling the narrative that they don't want to hear even though they're telling the truth. And yet in spite of that, here Paul says in that context, when you have been hurt so bad and you've been beaten to a pulp even by your own kind, even by your own brothers and sisters in Christ, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I can't do it. I can't. I don't have enough willpower. I don't have enough self-control. And let me tell you, if I ever am able to say, oh yeah, it's fine. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Deep down inside, I'm angry. How can we overcome these sinful impulses? How can we overcome these bad impulses? How can we overcome these habitual sins that we try and try and try and we can't stop? And guess what? That's the end of the chapter. And not only that, but the writers of this text, they put a heading here, walk in love. The next section in my Bible, your Bible probably has the same thing. So if you stop this text right here, what's the answer? The answer is try harder. That's not where Paul wanted to stop it though. The word of God is inspired. The numbers and the headings are not, praise be to God. Because I'm not strong enough, you're not strong enough. Sin is stronger than you. Sin is stronger than me. You are not able to stand up against sin on your own power. You can't do it. I can't do it. No one can. Actually, one could. King Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. How can we overcome our sinful impulses? By filling ourselves with the love of Christ. Over and over and over again. It is not a matter of willpower. It is not a matter of trying harder. It is opening yourself to be filled with the limitless love of Christ Jesus who bled and died for us and rose again. And when he comes, his love replaces my sin. It replaces my will. Christ, walk, verse two, walk in love, live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Imagine you had a, um, 
a laboratory with whatever equipment you could need, what is the best, most effective way to get the air out of this container? Ah, who said that? Fill it with water, right? You could try, like, like I could use a vacuum, right? But if you put a vacuum on here, like an actual vacuum, what's it going to do? It's going to break the cup, right? I can try and, like, you know, <laughs> right? It's, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to get the air out of there. The simple, most effective way to get the air out of a cup is just fill it with something else. Fill it with water. And if you fill it enough, it overflows. It overflows on others. You can't help but allow it to overflow. What's the most effective way of getting sin out of my life? It's not willpower. It's not try harder. It's not stop it. It's not just do it. The most effective way to get sin out of my life is to replace it with something else. Fill me with the love of Jesus. The famous Scottish theologian and pastor Thomas Chalmers, he said this. It's it's a little archaic, but you'll get the idea. He says, the love of God and the love of the world are two affections, not merely in a state of rivalship, but in a state of enmity. And that's so irreconcilable that they cannot dwell together in the same bosom. The only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. This was from his sermon, The Expulsive Power of Love. It's the love of Jesus. As we allow Jesus' love to fill us, the things of our sinful selves fade in the distance. His power, his strength, his love energizes us to be able to do things that we in and of ourselves we can't do. None of us are stronger than sin. Sin is stronger than every single one of us. But praise be to God, Jesus is stronger than sin. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Jesus' love changes us. Now the follow-up question is like, how do, I, how do I fill myself with the love of Jesus? Right? There's, there's a number of answers. Some of them are simple. The first two are pretty obvious. Uh, the first one is prayer. That's how we communicate to God. And again, I'm, I'm an advocate of telling God exactly what you feel. If you're angry at God, tell him. If you're scared, tell him. If you're fearful, tell him. Don't do this kind of uh, 19th century, I'm just going to tell God what he wants to hear. Like, don't be passive aggressive in your prayers. Like, be honest, right? Just say, God, I feel like you've abandoned me. God, I feel frustrated. God, I am disappointed that you did not heal me, that you did not heal my, my family member. Tell him what you feel. Have those conversations with him, but don't ever stop having those conversations with him and glorify him when he has blessed you and walk with him and praise him in your life. So you got prayer, scripture reading, right? So we talk to God through prayer. He talks to us primarily. There's other ways, but one of the primary ways is he talks to us through scripture. Uh, you don't have to read a big chunk. I mean, it depends on how you're, you're wired. Some of you will be like, yeah, I want to get through the whole Bible in a year. Cool. Some of you are like, man, I'm going to sit and camp on this Psalm for like a week. That's great. Me, I, I, I camp on a natural unit of scripture for, for a good chunk of time. That's, that just seems to be what works for me. Uh, so those are obvious. Those, these are ways that you uh, fill yourself with the love of Jesus. One that might not be as obvious is church. Church, so, and I don't, by church, I don't just mean coming together right now like we are. This is helpful and we need to do this. 
I think God's presence is when his people gather together. We are literally called the body of Christ. All of us together, we are the, the metaphysical, the supernatural body of Christ made manifest on the earth through us and our gifts and our talents and through the glorification of God. Um, but, but what I also mean by that is, you know, when, when you're talking about uh, friends who have addictions, um, I don't know anyone who's overcome an addiction by themselves. I don't know anyone who's overcome the addiction, an addiction when they've said, oh, it's just been me and God and I've prayed through it and he took it away from me. That's not the way God designed things to be. When you have a habitual sin that's going on and on and on, what do you need? You need the support of other people. You need it. You need them to encourage you. You need them to, to remind you of what you're doing when you fall and you stumble. You absolutely need other people. You need brothers and sisters who will walk alongside of you. That's why I'm a huge advocate of counseling, right? Like, I don't know. I, I know uh, in my era growing up, there was kind of this thing in the air like, oh, Christians, if you go to counseling, it means you're not trusting God. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The same God who said iron sharpens iron? The, the, the same God who, who calls the church the body of Christ wants me to just do this on my own? No, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely not true. We are in this together and we go through things together and we need other people to encourage us in Christ Jesus together. There is no such thing as a solo Christian that is healthy. And so we need church. And I don't just mean, you know, Sunday morning service. I, need, I mean, you need other people in your life to walk alongside of you. Sin loses its power when it's brought into the light. Sin thrives in darkness. It loses its power when it's brought into the light. It doesn't mean you tell someone and immediately it's gone, but man, it loses a lot of its edge. Its teeth gets knocked out when that happens. And finally, and this is the weird one, spiritual temperaments. And by this, I mean, uh, we are not wired the same way. How many of you enjoy nature? How many of you actively do not like nature? Oh. Hmm. Usually there's, oh, oh, there's one. All right. How many of you like being in nature with mosquitoes? How many of you dislike it? There we go. All right. There. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, I, some of you find walking through nature, God's cathedral, and you're just, you're in awe of God. You're like, wow, look at how beautiful. You're like singing how great thou art. And, and, and you can praise God. Others of you, you walk through it and you're like, stop it. Oh, oh my shoes and everything. Oh, it smells, it's too cold, it's too hot. Ah, right? Like, yeah, it's fine. You don't have to be that person. Uh, some of you will, um, some of you are, are intellectual and you want to love your Lord, your God with all your mind right? And so maybe you need to dive deeper into apologetics, right? Don't leave, just read the popular stuff, which is good. You know, Lee Strobel, that's great, but go deeper. Um, go deeper and read some of the actual Christian philosophers over the, the centuries. And, uh, or maybe a systematic theology book. Maybe you need to go deeper. And that's how, how you experience the love of God. Some of you, I'm saying that, and you're like, read a doctorate level apologetics book. That does not sound like I'm going to connect with Jesus there. Okay, don't. I had a seminary professor. Oh my goodness, he showed us in his book. After, um, after he had a really hard time, he opened up a theology book. He started reading and there are tear marks in the book, in the old dusty theology book because God was, was talking to him through that. If that, that's true for him, it's not true for you, that's okay. You kind of have to figure out where you are bent, how you are wired, and how you connect with God in addition to those other three and say, where, where do I experience the love of Jesus even more? It might be through service. It might be through hospitality. It might be through reading a, a novel that, that is just 
that shows beauty through the darkness. It might be through experiencing music. But take the time and do that. We can overcome our sinful impulses if we are filled with the love of Jesus. You can overcome your sinful impulses if you are filled with the love of Jesus. Walk in love as Christ loved us in love. Don't try harder. Oh, and by the way, some people, they'll say, hey, I tried all that. It didn't work. Okay, you can make these chores. (sighs) These are not chores. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read the scripture. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to take a nature walk. You get to. You get to do those things. If you turn these things into chores, it doesn't work because that's not about loving Jesus. That's like, oh, I'm going to check mark a box. This is trying, to, this is how Satan fools us. This is where he says, ah, oh, see, you tried it and it didn't work. Jesus doesn't work. He can't overcome your sins. He's not powerful enough. It's like, no, no, no. These are not check marks. This is not a math problem. Oh, I did that and it didn't work. No, it's, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's about loving Christ and being filled with his love in your heart. And eventually it pours out on other people. And eventually there is no more sin left in you over and over and over again. We will always struggle the side of eternity. But fill yourself with the love of Jesus. He'll change you. Don't try harder. Love more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our congregation. I pray, Lord, that you will help me and us together stop playing this foolish willpower game as if somehow we can out-willpower each other, as if somehow we can make ourselves stronger than sin. We're not. We're weak. But where we are weak, you are strong. Father, I pray that you will fill us with the love of Jesus. Help us to open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our souls, open up our very selves so that we can experience the love of Christ. Help us to experience the love of Christ as we sing right now. Help us to experience the love of Christ as we read our scripture throughout the week. Help us to experience the love of Christ even at the Sammy annual meeting. That doesn't seem to be a place where we'll encounter Jesus when you have a meeting. No one, no one says meeting and thinks they will encounter Jesus. But Father, I pray that as we see the work that you have done in the last few months, that we will see that you are God, that you are good, that you are working, that you have a plan and you have a purpose. May we be filled with your love. And as we are filled with the love of Christ, may our struggle with sin diminish in the light of his glory and grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbctarrytown.org.